Welcome to episode six of Unraveling Pink, a podcast exploring gender-based assumptions or pink bandanas at work. I'm Annie Rogaski. In this episode, we hear from John Hicks, Council Employment Law at Netflix. Coming from a family with strong female figures, John has some great perspectives on women and shares some stories about different ways he's seen women handle some common situations that can come up at work. He also explains why conflict may be a key to unlocking some of our gender issues in the workplace. And he issues my favorite Unraveling Pink challenge yet. Those of you who know the lore of the awesome rock will understand why. A big thank you to Kilpatrick Townsend for hosting us for this interview, in particular to Jordan Jones and Lori Paul. Another thank you to Warrington Parker for introducing me to John. Before we get to my conversation with John, I wanted to wish all our female listeners a happy belated International Women's Day. And if you're following the Women's March 10 Actions in 100 Days, I hope you were able to not work, at work or at home, that you wore red and that you didn't shop on March 8th. And now, here's John. So welcome to Unraveling Pink. Today, I'm here with John Hicks, who is Council Employment Law at Netflix. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to talk with you. I actually heard you speak at a lawyer conference uh, a few weeks back, and I was struck with the way you approached your job and the people that you work with. And it seemed to me that you were a, the kind of person that we need in more companies to help us eliminate pink bandana moments in the workplace. And so I reached out to you because I, was, I thought you would be a good voice for our listeners to hear, and I'm excited to have you here. So thank you. Well, thank you. So tell me a little bit about what your job is like. What do you do? I think I'm probably uniquely situated to talk about working with women because 90% of the people I work with are women, <laughs> um, which is good. So I do employment law, which means that at Netflix, my primary client is the talent team, or most people will call them HR. And most of the people in HR are women. And so a lot of what I do in sort of working with my client group is not only try and translate legalese into regular speak, but also connect with them in a way that's not sort of, I'm not providing them with examples that only another man would be able to understand or appreciate. I also have been given the opportunity because I work in employment law to see a lot of different women in leadership positions. You know, most of the heads uh, of HR talent that I work with have been women. Um, and so these are executive level leaders who, you know, sit on the E-suite and lead a team of hundreds and um, exert influence in ways that are unique to them. And, you know, as an employment lawyer, before I started working at um, Netflix or in-house, my bosses were all women. One of my really close mentors was a woman was the head of the law firm and the head of the employment team for a while and just a really smart uh, person who just also happened to be a woman. So I find that fascinating because my background is, for the most part, I worked for men. Um, Some exceptions, but I'm curious if in your career path, did you move in directions where there happened to be more women? I mean, employment law generally, I think there are you're more likely to see women in, in leadership positions than, for example, in patent litigation where I came up. But is there anything that you 
particularly sought out or was it just serendipitous that this happened? I do to some extent believe in serendipity, but most of it is I think most people are kind of destined for what they're supposed to do or sort of meant to do a Mm -hmm. thing, primarily because they're interested in it. And so long as they continue to follow their interests, they end up where they're supposed to be. But no, I started out of law school, I wanted to be um, an entertainment lawyer. Hmm. Uh, So I went to USC and I started at Sedgwick, where most of my bosses were men. And then when I left Sedgwick to come up to uh, Northern California, that's when I met Kathy, who's the the woman who became my mentor. And that was my first job in employment law. Before that, I was a general litigator doing advertising injury work. Um, for insurance companies at, at Sedgwick, which sounds amazing. <laughs> um, candidly, though, I think that what is interesting about employment law is it's not only conversational, but it's the subject matter is genuinely interesting. Mm-hmm. So it's usually about people. It's relatively sexy in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. There's a legal dynamic. There's a fact dynamic. And then there's a personality dynamic. So you often end up having to read people and predict how they might react to certain situations, uh, which makes it just fun if you're into people and strategy and talking things through. Yeah. Now, do you find that a lot of the issues that come up tend to be the result of a misunderstanding between genders or assumptions that were made that, that perhaps were not true? Yeah, I think... I think when it comes to to gender issues, it probably has more to do with the fact that most men work in environments that are predominantly male, and so they're used to working in a particular type of way. Mm -hmm. And so when you sort of introduce a new actor, whether it be a woman or um, it's also predominantly straight, so whether it's a woman or someone who's gay or even to some extent a minority because they're also predominantly white, um, it changes the way that folks interact. And it sort of changes the way that people engage and connect. And more often than not, it's not necessarily a miscommunication around um, a particular issue. It's sort of a misunderstanding around sort of work styles and backgrounds and general behaviors and things like that. And so a good example would be, you know, most men find it important to be at work at particular times of the day. Hmm. The more industrious workers stay from six to nine, right? And so, and for a lot of men, that's easy, right? They'll stay from six to nine because they have someone at home who can help take care of the kids or maybe they don't have kids. But what I found is a lot of the women that I work with are early risers or they come in early or they'll work before they start their morning and Mm -hmm. and continue to work again. And a lot of what I would see around sort of industrious comments, or I need you to work harder, we're going to have to pull an Mm all-nighter, right? Like those concepts around working hard are predominantly based upon that concept of staying late, um, not the number of hours that you might actually be working. And so there have been times where you know people will think someone's not working hard because they'll walk around the office at 6 o'clock and they won't see any women right. in their offices. Well, were you there at 6.30 in the morning when she woke up or were you with her at 4.30 in the morning when she was sitting at her coffee table before her kids got up writing emails and doing yeah. the work that would normally get done? And so it's just, I think those kind of 
background misconceptions that often lead to miscommunication. Yeah, it's amazing how much that still plays a part in our workplaces because the, the FaceTime thing, I mean, coming from a law firm, in law firms there was always so much emphasis on FaceTime. And then you saw younger generations come in and like, well, we can work anywhere. And sometimes we're more efficient when we work someplace else. But I still find even now I'm in a startup, I tend to be on the early side to avoid traffic. And when I leave at night, and I don't leave super early, but I, I, f- I feel weird about it. I feel like people are looking at me like, wow, you're you're getting out of here early, aren't you? Yeah, I'm still working. Why are you heading for the yeah, door? Yeah, exactly. And then and even though in my head I think, well, none of the people I see here were here when I got here this morning. It was a different group of people that's not here anymore. But um, there's still that psychological sense that you need to be putting in that face time and I can see how that can create issues what actually whether you're men or women or just the industrious type as you're suggesting versus those who might use their time differently um, both in and outside of the office well and I think it's important to kind of appreciate that you know people who use their time differently use them you know men use their time differently than women would use their time differently right and I think that that's part of a function of you know, what their role is wherever they are. And, you know, also, I think it has a little bit to do with when sort of I look at the trajectory of most men in the workplace, there's very little gap in their growth, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. if you if you see a man who sort of ascended to a position of power, his path is the path that he would expect others to take mm-hmm. in their ascension to power, right? And so or responsibility, I shouldn't use power, that's a loaded word. Um, But when, you know, when a man grows to a place of responsibility and he has that path, it isn't pocked with, you know, two months off, six months off, here or there to cater to or do one thing or the other. Mm -hmm. And despite best efforts, women are still often the primary caregiver for their home. And so you'll have women who want to have kids take six months off. Um, and you'll have women who want to care for their elderly or older parent take, you know, a month off here and a month off there. And unfortunately, that visual of someone taking a step away from work and then reengaging isn't seen as the ascension that's typical, right? And so one of the things I've seen a lot is really, really smart, talented um, lawyers who for whatever reason, decide to be in you know, special counsel positions or non-partnership positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, women who would be phenomenal rainmakers for companies. They're affable, they're really smart, they're thoughtful. They have the kind of personality where they can connect with folks and people trust them. So all of the basic skills that you know other males who ascend to the sort of same area have. Um, but they sort of take a step back because they appreciate that in that predominantly male working environment, there will still be the perception if you take a step back or you, you know, are off for a little while that you're less devoted or less interested in or less um, vested in your career. Uh, and again, that's just another contextual problem that yeah. I think a lot of women. Yeah, and the the law firm situation is, I think fraught with all sorts of issues um that's certainly one of them and and just the way that they're set up and the the 
the actions that they reward, I think, are, are very traditionally male actions. And it's tough sometimes either to ascend to those positions or to want to ascend to those positions. If you look and you say, well, being in that role means I'm going to have more time away from my family and spend more time in the office. A lot of people don't want that. Um, so it's a complicated problem. You said a lot of things that I wanted to, to come back to. Sure. You worked with both largely male groups of, of coworkers and female groups of coworkers. Do you approach those environments differently? Like, do you see a, an adjustment in yourself in how you interact with largely male workplaces versus largely female? Yeah, I, uh, I often do, right? So I would probably also want to temper it with the sort of the circumstances of the largely male situation and the largely female situation, right? So from my perspective, if I'm in a room that's mostly men, it's pro it was probably around sort of a piece of litigation or general litigation or a relatively competitive environment. Mm -hmm. right. um, when I'm in a group that's predominantly women, it's not hyper competitive. Like the premise of the meeting isn't we need to win or we need to beat someone or we need to be the best or whatever. The it's more collaborative. It's more Is that because information of the, gathering. Because of the subject matter or the people? Involved? Generally because of the subject matter and the reason I'm in the room, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, there have been situations where I've been the employment lawyer in a room full of men. Mm -hmm. um, but my role there is not, is would be similar. So it wouldn't be too engaged. So I would still come into the room with the same context. But as a general litigator, did you do litigation? Did. Yes. Right? So, litigation. So right, predominantly you know, male. It's, it's, <laughs> all, it's, it's all about being the first person to say yeah. something, the person to hold the mic the longest, the right. one who sits at the head of the room, the uh, focus of attention. Like that's the uh, power seat in a lot of those discussions. And so... You know, when I'm in situations like that, I'm very aware of not only where I sit, but who I sit next to. Mm -hmm. um, I also tend to pay too much attention to these kind of <laughs> issues. But so that you're in a place of appropriate respect mm -hmm. and that you're, you're in a situation where you can interject, right? Because engagement in those situations shows that you're participating. Right. Right. So your contribution to the conversation, even to some extent, if you're saying something that someone else already said, you're just saying it in a different way. <laughs> contribution to the conversation really matters. Yeah. And to some extent, a bit of an argument. Right. Like there needs to, you know, there needs to be a little bit of, I don't want to say chest bumping because, again, that's also charged. But right. to some extent, there has to be a little bit of a push and pull in a conversation. And it often always happens. Um, particularly where you're you're vying for uh, attention in a room full of men, where there's going to be a conflict, and it could be as something as minuscule as when we're going to end the meeting, or, <laughs> right, or something as important as how much money we're going to spend. But there right. will generally be a friction um, that you know you anticipate going into a room full of men, which I generally don't anticipate when I'm sort of in a room uh, as th that will predominantly be. But mm -hmm. I think that's also contention. Yeah. Yeah. And so have you seen that kind of litigation environment or competitive environment play out with women in the room? Do you see any issues where, like, you, you mentioned, you know, repeating a point that's already been made and 
as a female who pays a lot of attention to gender issues, I, I hear the, oh, the woman made the comment and then the man says it, the man says it and now it's heard, um, that, that um, kind of situation. But um, what sort of gender dynamics do you see in those rooms? And do you see, do, do women have a disadvantage in that kind of competitive room or does it depend on the particular personalities that happen to be present? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think that I have a really good friend who is a litigator through and through, and she will never let anyone talk over her. Like, it's just <laughs> never going to happen. And I respect that about her. But she's unique, right, as a woman who you, you go in knowing she's, you're never going to talk over her. Yeah. Like, if you want to interrupt her, good luck, because she's going to get around finishing her thought anyway and let you know that you interrupted her and don't do it again. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> um, right? And, and and I think a little bit of that has to do with her personality. She has a strong personality. And, you know, she's an African-American woman, so she kind of also has to make sure that her presence is known. But um, I think more often than not, you, what you experience will, will happens, right? Well, you'll be in a room and someone will say something, a woman will say something, and it'll be because men do it anyway. People do it, right? They'll say something repeatedly, but that will be the one that's picked up on. Right. Well, you also talked about, you just mentioned your friend who had her own unique way of approaching conversations in the room. And earlier you mentioned that women, uh, you've seen women exert their influence in unique ways. What did you mean by that? My first mentor at the first law firm I started at as an employment lawyer had a very interesting leadership style. It was very much the... I'll give you enough rope to hang yourself, right? <laughs> it's the, you know, I'm going to I'm going to trust you enough. I realize that you have to run with some things a little bit. Uh, a good example would be if you came in interested in a topic or, and it might be, a, or an idea, and it might not be the best idea, or it might even be an idea that she's seen before and she knows may not work. She will kind of let you work it out, hmm. right? She'll talk it all the way through and she'll ask the probative question and she'll, She'll sort of show, it's like a, it's kind of like a keto. Like she'll take your energy and sort of redirect it back at you to sort of get you to see the nuances of either the issue or the things that you haven't seen before or bring it back around to where it's supposed to be hmm. without having it be a clash of personality, right? It's sort of recognizing that you have something to say, listening to that and then saying, have you thought about this or how about coming at it from this perspective or why don't you go ahead and go try that see how it turns out like having the having the confidence in the the situation uh, to be able to do those kind of things and to, to say them without and letting someone sort of take a leadership position about feeling like she's lost anything by way of power or respect yeah. in that in that situation but she's also very definitive when something has to be done or a decision has to be made and she's the one that's making the decision and it's clear that she makes the decision she decides you know watching those two things happen is, is very powerful to sort of see someone realize that um, you know there's times when you want to hard cut with a sword and when that sword hard cut needs to be done it's done and then there are times where it's just kind of you can take a back seat in a meeting and let someone sort of work out whatever they need to work out or develop an idea that can possibly be their own without you know losing any influence or power in a situation i think that's very 
yeah, it is a challenging thing to accomplish, I think. And you probably know this more than most people of the different terminology that can be used in the workplace uh, for women who are that assertive or uh, confident. Do you, based on how you've seen issues play out in the workplace, do you have suggestions for women in particular of how they can navigate the confidence versus aggression or assertive, those, those flash words of, oh, she went too far in her confidence and now she's aggressive and she's labeled as aggressive. Like how do you, how do, how should people, how should women navigate that in the workplace? Candidly, I think it's a, it's a tough thing to navigate. You know, when I've seen it be effective, it's natural, right? It's a part of the person's personality. It's sort of who they are. It's not a surprise. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, first impressions matter. And when someone's first impression is that of, sort of strength and confidence and you know you're not going to talk over me I'm not going to let you talk over me mm-hmm. and that kind of carries itself yeah. throughout your entire relationship with them and so I often see women not do things that they would generally speaking want to do because their fear is to not be labeled as you know aggressive or um, uh, bitchy and just to some extent overcompensating for that sort of gives the first impression that allows them to, you know, when they do mm-hmm. exert themselves or when they do step up for themselves, those first couple of interactions are seen as, you know, oh, wow, she's getting emotional, right? A little out of character, out of character. from what they expected. Um, yeah. But if, I, if I'm being honest, I think that, I think women should just stick with it. Just be themselves. Just be themselves and be confident and be smart and look. Tell people if you're in a room and they're not listening, look, I have something to say, mm-hmm. right? And there are respectful ways to say it, but um, you say that enough times and people stop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For good or for bad. And interestingly, now that I'm at Netflix and we have this concept of transparency and instant feedback and telling people when immediately yeah. when they do something yeah. wrong, I think it's valuable for women to pull somebody aside in a meeting after a meeting and say... I had something to say and you talked over me and I didn't like that. Just being assertive about the things that and situations when they feel like someone's overstepped um, uh, their bounds with them, whether or not it is related to gender. I think that that power play, that sort of the taking, taking someone aside when it's not in the heat of the moment and where you can look them in the eye and sort of be human and say, you've done something and that's not right. Yeah. I think that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that I would see my mentor do that's just very powerful, right? It's just it's super intense and it's candid and it's honest and you can talk about it and you can have a conversation and disagree if necessary, but if I'm telling you this is how I feel, you need to know that. Yeah. And now that you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of okay. Yeah, and it sounds like I mean, you've really identified two different approaches to the women that you've talked about. One would be I'm in the meeting and I'm not going to let you take my power away from me and I'm going to make it known while I'm in the room that I'm talking and you're not going to interrupt me. But the other one, the other example you gave um, was, was sort of stepping outside the room after the meeting, pulling someone aside and, and, and one-on-one saying, this is, you know, how I perceived your interactions in the room. 
And it strikes me that those are great alternatives for people depending on their style, depending on their situation, and depending on what kind of impact you want to have. Like sometimes you do want to put the entire room on notice that this is unacceptable. And that can be a really hard thing to do, especially if it's not your natural personality. But I like that, that you brought out both of those examples because I think people tend to gravitate to different ways of approaching situations. And ultimately, the relationships you have with people make that easier or harder. If you have laid the foundation for having those hard conversations, you can have them much more easily. You mentioned your mentor a couple times, Kathy. Kathy, yeah. How did that mentoring relationship come about? Did you ask for it? Did she, was it part of the firm program? How did that happen? Um, organically, which is how I think most really good mentorship relationships go, she's exceedingly welcoming. Like she's, it's not that, I wouldn't say like I was the only person she mentored. Like she, everyone she worked with, at least while I was there, took something away from her that was a lesson or a learning or, you know, she really did feel like part of her role as a leader was to mentor the people that she worked with, either through light coaching or giving them an opportunity to learn or like she really kind of took that on as like one of the things that was a component of being a good leader. Mm -hmm. And so, and I, she's just fun. Like, you know, there are certain people that you have an opportunity to connect to connect with and you just kind of hit it off. And yeah. She liked my jokes. It's um, important. I think so, too. <laughs> um, and she's and she's just this she's just a kind hearted and thoughtful person who also was easy to work with. Uh, I think that that I think that that's a thing that most people miss that the day to day conversations that you have with people should be enjoyable. Like the. Yeah. And if you're someone who's easy to talk to or easy to work with or at least seems to have an approachable personality, you're probably going to get a whole lot further. Mm-hmm. I think that yeah. being, being someone who's open and receptive generally makes you a better person, better boss, better, better coworker. Mm-hmm. Is there something that you wish women knew about men that would make it easier for all of us to coexist in the workplace? That's a good one. <laughs> and I'm I'm totally surprising you with this. No, question. that's a good question. I like I like the question. I mean, my my instant response is that men are probably shyer than you give them credit for. Really? Um, well, I'm shy. Uh, you don't strike me as shy. <laughs> I talk through my shyness. I think that if I'm sort of giving a, like a coachable moment to someone who's sort of a young woman entering the workforce, I would say that, you know, conflict doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? And that, you know, avoiding conflict or avoiding an argument or no matter how small it is and a little pushback is something that I think, you know, women should appreciate. And I think men generally do. I was having a very interesting conversation with a friend. I have one friend who's pretty, he's very strategic about almost everything. And he got a job, and <laughs> I think I think it might have been his first job as a lawyer. And he negotiated his first job, or tried to wow. negotiate his first job as a lawyer. Like at a law firm. Yeah. Wow. 
right? Yeah. Like I would never. It's first like, of all, I've never all really done that. Yeah. Your mate that <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, but he he came at it from the perspective of it's not going to hurt to ask. Right. Like I'm good. I kind of have the job. They like me. I like them. There's stuff I want. I've got decent reasons for wanting it. Why not ask? And I think part of who he is is that is um, that stance is easy for him. But I think that I have a hard time doing it. But I think women should think about those opportunities to ask for something that they feel a little bit uncomfortable asking for. And it could be something as small as an opportunity to work on a project, yeah. being very open about that, or something as large as negotiating a better package. I think that there are some areas of employment where it's expected to negotiate. Mm-hmm. And because the bravado is, I'm going to come out strong so you won't, the expected response is to negotiate. And when you don't, that's a, that's a different kind of impression. It's like, yeah. oh, I, I got one over on you. Right. Maybe I can do that again at some other point during our relationship. And so like, I think there are, those moments are few and far between, but we kind of all know when they are. And okay. taking advantage of those is important. Well, I've not heard it stated quite that way before. I like the, the juxtaposition of conflict, embracing conflict and negotiation. Because I think you hit on something that until this point, I didn't really make that connection. But I think part of the issue that women have with negotiation is it's it seems like conflict like a con- you're inviting conflict where there was no conflict before if you just come in and accept what's given to you then you won't have any conflict and you don't have to negotiate and conflict certainly is something that i think w- women are are raised to try to avoid and to try to smooth over which is unfortunate because conflict is a really beneficial and necessary thing in business to get to the best result but it does really impact negotiation. So if women can get comfortable with conflict, then they can also probably get more comfortable with negotiation. Yeah, and I think to to not think of conflict as a bad thing or disagreement mm-hmm. is a is a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, right. Because I think you know a lot of what men and boys do as they grow is have conflicting situations like mm-hmm. they're in conflict often on you play sports. war all the time right yeah. <laughs> war, war and soldiers yeah. and you know where you know i have someone on the other side and part mm-hmm. of that give and take requires that i not like you for a period of time mm-hmm. right be on the basketball court my best friend in the world could be on the other team but i'm gonna throw him an elbow occasionally and i'm gonna beat him and he's gonna know i'm better than him the entire time and then mm-hmm. we're gonna stop we're gonna have beers and that's it, right and he's going to appreciate the fact that I was extra tough on him on the basketball court. And That's I think that what women need to learn. I think that there's, there's value in that. Yeah. I think it's more, again, a question of having the context for the person that you're talking to mm-hmm. and less of sort of a – I think women just need to appreciate that. Just like men need to appreciate certain aspects of the way women work. I think if women appreciate the fact that, you know, guys are kind of okay with conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like – just because you disagree with me and I disagree with you does not mean I'm not going to like you. Yes, right. Right? Yeah. Like, I, I may in that moment tag you as someone who I may disagree with or I may not like or this is very uncomfortable right now and I don't like it. But unless you're generally speaking someone that they're not going to like because you have conflicting personalities, which mm-hmm. is possible, 
just because there's this moment of conflict, even if it's initial conflict, doesn't mean that as the relationship develops that they're not going to like you. Right. Yeah. Okay, so I've got another question for you. I hopefully have another answer. How can men help reduce gender friction in the workplace? How can they be better allies in the workplace? That's a really good question because it's hard to give tips and have people remember them not in context. It's like reading an employee yeah. handbook. Um, I think part of the reason why people over-rely on employee handbooks is because they expect someone to know and appreciate everything that's in it because I gave it to mm -hmm. you at some point in time, right. right? But most people don't remember things unless they either need to use them or they discovered them sort of in context, right? right? So yeah, I might know the have read the section on leaves in my employee handbook, Mm -hmm. But until I hurt myself, I'm not going to know how much time I get. And then I'm going to go to the employee and then I'm going to get it. And so I think that if I'm talking to men about sort of how they can be better coworkers for women, I think that, you know, being open to thinking about those things on a regular basis or having conversations about those issues when they arise. I mean, men know when they've kind of overstepped it with a female coworker, either talking over them or said something that might have been offensive. Um, you know, sometimes they don't. Yeah. Right? And yeah. Everybody's feedback an individual. Should, should, we talk should be in given. some generalizations here. <laughs> but I think most of the time they do. And, and, if, and if, if you can accept the fact that occasionally you're going to make a mistake and when you do sort of fess up to it, mm -hmm. I think, well... Well, and that's a good tactic to have generally. Yeah. But I think it's going to be endearing to your female coworkers, and you're going to run, you're going to lower the probability that you make that mistake. Yeah. And you'll probably have a, a huge ally at work. <laughs> I think so. If you can admit a mistake or you can learn from it and be open to it. That's, that's a, a huge part of the process. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. So before I get to a challenge, is there anything else, like, Throughout this, you've thought, oh, I wish you would ask me this or anything we haven't covered. Uh, no, I think, no. Okay. I, think we've, I think we've had a really good conversation. I mean, I certainly, oh, I should say this, though. I think um, a little bit of my context is um, I was raised by women. So I didn't really have yeah. a lot of male mm -hmm. leadership figures in my life. So mm -hmm. um, my best friend growing up was my grandmother. Um, really sweet woman and she likes sports and she she brought me into golf right oh nice when she was older and I was in law school and she beat me most of the time when I first well, started she which is awesome. she's also taller than me so um <laughs> yeah <laughs> I do have a little bit of a height complex but you know being shorter than a woman is something that I'm kind of used to and I think that that growing up around women and um, raised by women and I have a very strong wife. I'm around a lot of really strong women. Mm -hmm. Makes having those and being in those situations with strong and powerful women more comfortable for me. Right. Not a lot of men are going to have that, uh, and I'm I'm fortunate enough to have you know a grandmother who was a working professional, mm -hmm. right? Had a great job, raised five kids. Um, who her husband um, was sort of a stay-at-home husband. Mm. Um, I mean, he had jobs, but like she was the, 
she matriarchal. Was the, exactly. Yeah. Right. Like she was the sort of the breadwinner, the focus, the huh. leader of the household. And so sort of seeing that and having that be the, you know, I want to grow up and be like my grandma kind of thing, yeah. I think makes it a little bit easier for me to understand and appreciate um, women as leaders and be comfortable with them. Yeah, definitely. I think when you, when you see someone in a role and it is normal in your head for whatever reason, then you have less conflict with that. But as we know, conflict is good and you should embrace it. <laughs> so I would like to close with my last question to you, which is do you have a challenge for our listeners, something that they can do that they will remember and they can easily go into work tomorrow and put this into play um, that would do something to engage men and women in conversation about gender issues or improve gender relations in the workplace in some way? Hmm. I think that's, I think that's a tough, it's hard. Um, let me think about it. Like, and I'll make it even harder on you, which is, it has to be something that you'll commit to doing too. Oh, well, no, then I don't have any challenge. I'm not going to volunteer for homework. No homework? No way. <laughs> okay, just um, our listeners. No, no, you have to do it. <laughs> no, I think. I will do this. I will do this, and I will challenge other people to do this. To go up to um, a female coworker and talk and and tell them sort of something about them that you appreciate, either as a coworker or as a leader, or, like give them a say something nice about them in, in 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 a way to sort of encourage the kind of behavior that you sort of want to see them do more often. I like um, that. I will do that because I work in feedback culture and it won't seem totally awkward to walk up to a coworker and say, I've seen you do this. I think that's awesome. But um, yeah, take an opportunity to do something like that. Um, I think sometimes people are doing things that are brave and they feel brave to them, but no one looks around and acknowledges it for being brave. And so they're a little disheartened at having done something. And so just give them a little bit of heart. That is a fantastic challenge. And I'm on gonna, Valentine's Day, I, give on, them a little yes, bit of heart on Valentine's Thank that's you. A, that's a great way to I close. I think we should drop the mic on that one. Not my mic, though. <laughs> I don't want to break my mic. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking uh, with you. And you. I think you gave our listeners a lot to think about. Oh, I hope so. This was fun. Thanks for listening. I hope you take on John's challenge and tell someone tomorrow how awesome she is. If you're enjoying Unraveling Pink, Please tell us how awesome we are by spreading the word, sharing our episodes on your social media, and rating us on iTunes. Together, we can unravel the pink bandana. Bye.